This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and the summer seminar series keeps rolling along as we begin to kind of, again, try to take you closer to the game and our topic or theme for this summer is the player problem solver paradigm as we try to unpack the nature of the problems that players are facing on the field and throughout this series we've tried to attack it from many different viewpoints from the theoretical and then as we transition more into the application or applied areas it just seems like it takes on a different light and a different uh, kind of understanding and I am just really excited to bring in somebody who's living and breathing these ideas in his own practice. I am absolutely ecstatic to welcome QB Collective QB coach, Mr. Will Hewlett. Will, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Man, th- thanks for having me. I'm so excited to uh, get a chance to chop it up here. I've, I've listened to the podcast for quite some time now, so it's an honor to be on. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I mean, Will, honestly, the, the pleasure is entirely mine, as I, I really frequently say with my guests, because I'm really a fan of yours, and I'm a fan of everybody that's on this this series because of of just the, the out-of-the-box, rich, thoughtful, kind of willing-to-be-vulnerable type of thinking that I think everybody displays, and, I, and that's an example really for myself to follow. So I'm kind of really trying to <laughs> – I'm using everybody on this presenting show to kind of inspire me to continue in that direction as well. And and a lot of our a lot of our conversations, Will, that we've had over the course of the last year has really been something that I, I called you and said, listen, you have to be a part of this podcast, this series in particular, just because of your unique position in the world of football and really your, your – I guess I want to say your unique approach to your particular sure. position in this in this world of football. So I'm going to start there and say, well, you know what? Can you unpack a little bit about your journey as a quarterback coach and and what that really entailed, where you were, and now maybe who you're striving to become? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I've got a pretty pretty unique journey. I, I've arrived at at this. Um, you know, I'm in this this crazy world of private quarterback coaching, um, and uh, the, it's you know it, observing from the outside. I'm sure people have got all different types of opinions on it, um, but it, it's really all driven from a passion I had when I was about 13 years old to become an NFL quarterback. And the thing that made that a little bit uh, outlandish was that I actually was born and raised in Australia. I grew up playing rugby, soccer. Um, you know, and, and I just had this obsession with uh, with American football, and then I've always been able to throw things well. So I kind of gravitated towards the quarterback position. So I would I would be the uh, you know my buddy would be J- uh, Jerry Rice, I'd be Joe Montana, and, and this would be at a uh, you know some uh, lunchtime in in uh, Sydney, Australia, would be playing catch. Uh, you know, and then and so my goal was always to you know. Uh, be a, an elite player in the game. And so that kind of drove me to, you know, by my senior year of high school, I decided I wanted to pursue this. I'm going to move across the country. So I moved to a high school in Florida. And that kind of took me through a journey into college football. And, I, you know, I went to a couple different colleges. It didn't, didn't work out. Um, I, and when I, when I finished, I had a little bit of bitterness towards um, my – playing career because I really felt like I underachieved as, as a, as a player. Um, I was, you know, six foot five, you know, four, seven, 40, 220 pounds, um, you know, had a, a decently strong arm. And so I felt like that I, I, I wanted to learn as a player, but there was no one that could give me the specifics of the position. It was always, Hey, you're just thinking too much about it. You're, uh, you know, um, try this. And then if that doesn't work, I'm not sure, you know, there's no one could ever go in any layer, you know, deeper than one, um, you know, with any issues with ball flight or just general throwing. And, and so a couple of years uh, after I, I, I finished up being a player, I, I had this burning desire to get back into the game and, and kind of took that, you know, I think I want to be a coach. And in, instead of going the traditional coaching routes about 2005, 
I, I thought, you know, I think I want to kind of start a quarterback academy. My high school coach quickly told me, he's like, no offense, Will, like who, who the heck's Will Hewlett and why would anyone go to your academy? And it was a really, uh, you know, awakening moment, but it was truthful. It was good feedback. And, and so I partnered up with a guy by the name of Darren Slack. And um, that kind of took me on a huge journey. You know, here I am uh, almost, uh, shoot, how many years later? 15, 14 years later. And and part of the quarterback collective and, and have been involved in the uh, – uh, private and camp coaching industry for quite some time. So a long, frustrating journey as an athlete through injuries and 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 underachieving. Uh, that's kind of crafted, I think, who I am in a lot of ways as a, as a coach now. And here we are. Well, you know what? And I'm going to ask you maybe to dive a little bit deeper into that as people maybe are listening. They may bring polarizing feelings about, you know, the private quarterback coach industry and and what that is and entails and colleagues and people that, you know, it's worked for me. It didn't work for me. I mean, I, I ask you only because we're not necessarily pointing out anybody, but there are philosophies that are very different in your industry. And I don't know if we should paint with such a broad brush. Is that fair? Very fair. Um, it's generally speaking a very um, it's it's not a very qualified industry, uh, and and I, and I mean that by listen. Well, this is the truth. Is there is yeah. there is there like a professional quarterback certification that I can go online, so to speak, take practice, be observed, and and be kind of you know. I guess I want to say decreed or you yeah. know endowed with well, being a quarterback coach. There, there, there are some out there, but it, it's not in you know it's not structured in a way that um, listen. If you if you've you've got if you're sick and you're going to go see the doctor, you know that person has a degree and they've they've gone through a number of uh, years of schooling. Um, and and so the the thing is with quarterback coaching, it, you know, it's like if you're going to go see a private quarterback coach. Well, that guy might might have just been a, an elite player, or or just um, right place, right time. You know, trained someone locally that ended up going to the NFL. It's it's so the qualifications is, is really right now. It's a it's an Instagram account. Um, it's uh, you know um, a little bit of social media prowess, and then if you can kind of talk the lingo a little bit, um, you can call yourself a QB coach and a private quarterback coach, and you can get clients and and make money and and um, uh, feel, I guess, good about yourself um, attempting to get uh, quarterbacks better. Well, and I and I think this is this is where we kind of begin to talk maybe more about who you are as a coach and that journey into your own understanding and what you try to do with your players. I mean, Darren Slack, you know, to me in the industry is one of those monuments in terms of you know quarterback education and of course um you know people that he's worked with he's somebody that i i've known for a long time in terms of his work not personally and i've always been very impressed about what he brought to the game so i mean if we're talking about you know references and a list of pupils i it's clear to me i know where you come from so i'm I'm curious is if you can take us into what the qb collective is for a moment and then as we kind of talk about the QB collective, we'll talk a little bit maybe about, you know, your philosophy on what you're trying to do as, as a, as a teacher, because yeah. that's what you end up being. Yeah, um, absolutely. So the quarterback collective um, is, is run uh, founded by a gentleman by the name of Richmond flowers and, and Richmond was a former NFL player. Uh, and then very briefly, and then uh, a former NFL coach, and when he realized that uh, coaching wasn't for him and uh, coach representation was was a different direction, he felt like he'd, he'd be more successful in. And But the Richmond uh, was a part of the Mike Shanahan Redskins organization, which is now exploding as, you know, the tree of coaches. And, and so the quarterback collective was, um, you know, his, his idea when, when he came out as a player – and then as a coach, he felt like, man, if I had been armed with the right information, uh, I could have extended my playing career considerably. And, and now I'm seeing these coaches that are having success. And, and it's because of a philosophy of teaching and a methodology uh, that is, that is you know, you're, you're seeing right in front of our eyes explode in, into many different organizations. And so he wanted to find a way to bridge the gap from the NFL to, to high school. Um, and, you know, 
he's put together a, an annual event and um, a number of other d- different um, pieces of the program with, uh, you know, we've got this uh, company by the name of Sports Sense, which um, does uh, testing for, um, you know, decision-making and, and comprehension of, of complex pro- uh, problems. And then we've got this unique experience where we bring in, you know, Sean McVeigh, Matt LaFleur, Mike Shanahan, uh, Kyle Shanahan, Rich uh, Scangarello, I mean, Mike McDaniels, Mike, the list goes on of guys that are, that are currently coaching um, NFL teams and coordinators and position coaches and put them on a high school field with a bunch of high school quarterbacks and, and, and see if we can't mesh the information and, and give these guys a different perspective. Um, and that's essentially what it is, um, and it's in year four. Of, of uh, existence. Well, and, and I mean, I've seen plenty of of those uh, types of videos, commentary, and and amazing things floating around about the QB Collective, and it's something that is it, it intrigued me to to initially reach out to you, and and we had our you know really rich discussions about the position, and and it, and it brings me to this idea of really talking about. I mean, you've worked with quarterbacks; that's what you're doing. I would want to know in general, in general. I mean. What do you feel really the problems are or the types of ideas or the position itself? Describe the quarterback position to me. I mean, I could be your student day one and you're kind of looking at me as this, hopefully, maybe I'm athletic. I mean, I don't know. But you're looking at me and saying, I got to make this guy a quarterback. Um, And you're saying, you know, here's here's what I think the nature of the position is because that kind of drives, I'm sure, some of your instruction in terms of where you kind of sit in terms of your foundational understandings of the position, your philosophies and views of the position, who is and what is the quarterback position in the game of football? We'll, we'll forget mastery level. Just yeah, what yeah. is the quarterback position, if that's even definable? Yeah, no, I, th- I think it is. Um, I think there's, there's some consistent traits that stand out uh, amongst all levels of successful quarterbacks. I, I think number one, there's a level of confidence um, that kind of supersedes, uh, mo- you know, many players on the field where their, their ability to, you know, take the pressure for, um, uh, they got to kind of put the team on their back or an extension of the coach. Uh, they've got to be able to make mistakes and bounce back. So I, I think at the core of everything, um, there is a level of confidence that you need to be a quarterback um, and, and it's, I, I give it one of those things. It's, it's almost a level of confidence sometimes where you, you, you know, you don't know, uh, you don't know well enough not to know that you shouldn't make that throw, but you're confident in your arm. You do make that throw. And, and so it's, 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 it's a level that is, is generally un, unflappable. Um, I think that's been something that stood out in quarterbacks is a belief in what they can do. Uh, then I, I really feel like, you know, your ability to deliver the football, um, is equally as important as confidence. I think they're tied together, you know, and we talk about leadership and things that are other important traits of quarterback, but the reality is if you're not a good thrower, if you can't spin the ball, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a problem um, gaining credibility as, as a player. Um, and that's basically the definition of, of a cue. It's, it's someone that can, that can, you know, get the ball from point A to point B uh, and, and of course, there's been guys like Tim Tebow that haven't done it as pretty, that have had success. But you, you reach a point in the position where, you know, if if you don't, if you cannot deliver the football effectively, it catches up to you. It doesn't matter how good a leader you are. So I believe that, you know, confidence and, and your ability to naturally throw the football are very much tied together. And then and then finally, I think, um, you know, maybe this is more personal for me, but I, I believe that, that a level of toughness, I think, is also um, you know, something that ties in with the position. Uh, although sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily see that, but it, I feel like it's a position where it's so out in the open. Everything is so visual. You, you have to, you know, what, how you react is it's a lot of the times how your teammates and coaches react. So, you know, be, being able to deal with discomfort and, and um, disappointment and, um, and on all levels. And I think those three things really stand out to me at the quarterback position. You know, and, I, and what I think stands out to you as I kind of reflect back on on several episodes in the series, you know, I, I think back to 
a couple of things. Um, one of them, I think back to uh, statements that were made by uh, Cameron Jossi, um, Cameron Joss, excuse me, as well as Fergus Connolly about these, you know, coactives of the physical, the tactical, the technical, and the psychological. And I hear elements of you resonating. Those resonate with what things that you said. You know, you're you're talking about delivering the football, a thrower of a football, mm-hmm. the confidence, the resiliency, if we're gonna call it that, toughness. Yeah. Um, I hear all those things, and yet I hear also a lot of things that resonate with uh, you know, Sean Mishka in ter- terms of functionality, in terms of like, we're not going to overly dissect this. We are also thinking about the competency in terms of the task at hand and your ability to kind of meet those demands and deliver the football, but also understanding that reference to your Tim Tebow discussion, also this idea that, you know, you have to be able to adapt to a myriad of situations. And when you do hit those issues, those things that you can't, you know, then you begin to see where maybe um, your deficiencies are, or limitations are. So I, I'm curious, you know, in terms of, you know, delivering the football and and where you came in terms of your journey, um, yeah. were you were you more of a, you know, there's a right way or a wrong way earlier in your career? Do you still subscribe to that? Sure. Where, who were you? You know, if I were saying to you, you know, coach, you know, I, I, I really think I have the ability to play this game at a high level. Who are you as a coach? What, what would you tell me about who you think you are as a coach in terms of helping me get to that next level? Yeah. Well, this is, this is a rabbit hole we're about to go down. Um, That's okay. The whole, yeah. the whole series is about rabbit holes. There we go. Good. There you go. So early on in, as a player, um, it, and, and then early in my coaching career, there wasn't a, a one way to do it. Um, the problem was, is I, I, I didn't know any way to do it. I just kind of did it. And, and sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't. And I think the thing we have to understand about throwing a football is that, you know, it looks at this 32 starting professional quarterbacks in the world, you know, this probably close to, you know, 80, 80 professional quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, that's not very many. And, and so it's a very difficult position to, to achieve a high level of, of um, as a player at. And, and so as, as a thrower, um, you know, there was this gray area where it's like, well, I think this is how it should be. And it's such a highly technical move, um, a technical skill that, you, you get instant feedback, unlike kicking a soccer ball or even throwing a baseball. Um, if you don't do it right, the ball doesn't spin. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the most clear uh, feedback tools that you can see is that the ball is just not going to travel the way it should if, if you're doing something incorrectly. And that doesn't mean you can't complete passes throwing wobbly footballs, but um, – you know, spin rate and and uh, a good ball flight, it, it, you know, it helps with accuracy. And it's also a good indicator that things are working efficiently. Um, and so then I kind of shifted into this, well, there's only one way to do it mindset. Um, very rigid in my my thought process in terms of, of key positions of the throw. You know, the, the elbow must go here. The arm must go here. Uh, this must happen by this point. And if it doesn't, you know, you're, you're failing um, as a thrower. Um, and that was a good chunk of, of my coaching career where it was one lens that I looked at everything through. And if you didn't fit that, you were doing it incorrectly. And then I had a young man by the name of Morgan Mahalik, uh, kind of come into my life. Uh, he was Jared Goff's backup at Marine Catholic. And, um, he, we, we started working together and he couldn't throw a spiral. And, you could tell like there was a lack of confidence. There was a lack of, um, you know, Hey, I'm probably going to get moved positions and he's going into his sophomore year. We looked at the ball and he was just holding the ball like Jared was holding it. Uh, and I was like, "Here, just move your finger here and then adjust your hand this way. And then literally the next throw was a spiral. And then the next one after that was a spiral. And so, it was on and on. And then it was, it was, it just kind of took ownership. And, and then all of a sudden Morgan is, um, you know, one of the only quarterbacks in the country to get F, uh, FBS offers as a backup. You know, he was Jared Goff's backup. They'd be warming up on the field and college coaches would come down and well, which one's Jared? 
Um, so he was one of the most elite throwers in the country a year behind and ended up uh, committing and going to Oregon after senior year. But what I realized about Morgan is that I started changing things mechanically that I thought I needed. You need a, you need a quicker release. I'm going to tighten the back of your throw up. I'm going to, you know, move your front arm a little bit differently. And I, I, I realized that, you know, he had a wind up, I guess you could say a traditional wind up and, and, but man, it was smooth. And he threw with such great velocity. He was so accurate. And it just hit me. I was like, why am I changing these things? Like, what, what am I doing? Like every college coach sees this kid throw and they love it. It's natural and, and it's fluid. And, and that really hit me with a ton of bricks. I, I just realized like, maybe I think I'm overdoing it here as a coach. I'm, I'm giving too much instruction. You know, maybe I'm not looking at this the right way. And um, so that really shifted my mindset in terms of how I viewed um, throwing as a skill and then how I teach throwing as a skill. Um, and, and that was the biggest, biggest change for me. So now I'd say um, at the fundamental, you know, sequence level, hips, torso, arm, and then internal rotation of the shoulder, and then the deceleration, hips, shoulder, internal rotation of the arm, um, it's the same. But on the outside, there's individual differences that we have to allow for. Um, variability, I guess, would be a good word. And, and, and that's something that you have to allow athletes to embrace. Otherwise, you're just going gonna to crush them as a coach. Well, no, and I think what I'm, I'm sensing from you is something that I think begins to speak to this gray area where some listeners might be saying, oh, you're just telling everybody to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. You're not really saying that there's any type of rhyme or reason. And, and I love what you just said there. It, it's not, I don't think we're saying that there's no rhyme and reason. There can be a sequence, but the idea that there's a bandwidth of correct movement within that sequence is something that I think may end up being something that we forget to acknowledge. Right. Like, you know, is, is that fair? Or am I, because uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're the expert here, but I mean, yeah. I'm just, it just resonates with me that I think there's a very big difference between a sequence of maybe movements yeah. and maybe a technical prescription for how exactly to execute the movement. Right. Do you, well, how does, is that true? Do you find that to be true? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and this, this has been a you know discovery process myself for quite some time now, um, you know, and, and what, what to coach and what not to coach. Right. And um, it, it, some of the things that have, that have stood out uh, where I've struggled in the world of, you know, self-organization, ecological dynamics, constraint based learning, and then I find myself feeling, gosh, I, I just really want to isolate this for a moment and just focus on this one very um, specific cue. And, and so I go back and forth with that. And the one thing that stands out to me at, at all times is because, you know, you listen to the, 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 the skill acquisition world out there. And I, I think a lot of the focus has been on, you know, sports like soccer and hockey and rugby and um and so, you know, this is this free play. We'll figure it out kind of as we go along with the movements of all. And, and I, I'm 100 percent on board with that concept. I believe that a lot of those things are true where sometimes as a coach, I struggle with those is I tell a player to change the position of his wrist, you know, and he does. And there's immediate improvement. And so I go, hmm, you know, should I just let him figure that out on his own or, you know, is this something that that where, you know, what's my role in this? And, and so there, there are things to the throw, I think that are, that are very specific that if, if they don't happen, um, you know, within the context of the movement, um, you're going to get immediate feedback on the ball. That's not good. I mean, you're going to see it just doesn't work the way it should. And I think in other throwing sports where it's, you know, I, I know that the specific, you know, how specific you have to rotate your hand in terms of throwing, you know, a fastball, a curveball and, and pitching. Yeah, there's things that they have to do very specifically there. But, you know, they're not limited by time uh, and distance. Um, you know, there's uh, so much, uh, you know, so many personal differences because they're driving off a mound and lengths and different body sizes. And so quarterback is this like, you know, timed, you know, limited time. Um, 
con- constrained movement that's in a pocket where people are throwing at you. So I, I think that, you know, it makes this, the, the action um, restricted in some ways. Um, and then, uh, and I think that's where we kind of evolve as throwers. You know, you see that come out in the guys. Um, it's a, it's kind of an evolution of the game. And then the size and shape of the football force a couple things that have to happen. Well, and I think you really raise an important question, both on the, you know, technical kind of biomechanist level of where the wrist, how the wrist should be situated. But also, I, I think what's interesting is, and I'd love to explore this, is obviously these these motions and these sequences of, you know, events aren't happening in complete isolation. You know, they're happening as a play unravels, you know, as a play emerges, as receivers come open. Take me through what it's like to coach that that emergent play at the snap of the ball. Because I do think that we have a tendency to talk very mechanically and almost um, almost uh, you know, almost like a motor programming, mental processing. You know, I'm gonna look at this guy first, mm-hmm. this guy second, this guy third, and if I break, you know, if I break stride in that then I'm off structure. Cause you hear a lot yeah. about that. Will on yeah. structure, off structure, yeah. where do the, where does the teammates, the environment around them, meaning down distance, maybe weather or hash mark, where do some of those ideas play within that shaping of that motion? Because I'm sure as you're watching players, you'll see issues, limitations about their mechanics or mechanical issues arise in some areas or sometimes, but not in others. And there may be that discontinuity at times. And I, I know your eye is very mm-hmm. trained and you see way more um, detail than somebody of, of my ilk sitting down and watching, but I'm sure there's even inconsistency within that. And where does it, sure. where does the entirety of the game fit within the shaping of the quarterback's uh, I want to say competency of their actual position. Yeah, I, th- I think um, this is one of those, you know, areas that I, I spend a lot of time uh, trying to understand better as, as a coach. And, um, you know, where you know, I, I listen and I study a lot on the concept of, of free play. Um, and it's, it's, it's becoming a, a popular subject in, so- in soccer. And the general gist of it is that, you know, it, it's it's constraint based coaching. We're just we're letting um, the athlete self discover how to work through uh, the problems that are presented in the environment, and, and instead of giving them very specific, hard, fast rules, uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna find the better way, and they might not find that right away. It might take some time, and then eventually they'll come out nice and shiny on the the, the end of it and be elite soccer players. Um, so the thing about offense in, in, in American football is that it is um, it, in the unstructure that the defense, you know, the chaos the defense provides us as an offense, there is an innate level of, of, of timing and precision that's practiced in the position. And I think within that timeline um, that's very specific to every play, um, there's going to be very variability, you know, for athletes in terms of route running and, and how they attack particular routes, um, and 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 the time spent, you know, with the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the running backs, I think helps understand, you know, the guardrails that each position has and how far outside that, you know, they can they can go off those guardrails before it's like, okay, we're not going to throw the ball there. Um, so I think the way that's affected the position of quarterback is that, you know. Uh, you can very quickly be late um, in, in delivering the football. So everything kind of there, – there's a point when the, the receiver is open, they're not open, they're open, and they're not open again. And there's these windows of opportunity that present themselves into play. And I think from a, from a coaching standpoint, what you're trying to do is put your player in a position to be able to uh, pull the trigger, so to say, um, when that window is available. But – it's sometimes you got to be able to pull it before it's available. So they intersect. Right. And so there's these, um, you know, problems we deal with at, at the quarterback position where, you know, one little mishap in timing, um, you know, and whether it's a misstep in footwork or it's, it's, a, a, an awkward delivery, um, affects the outcome of the play in its entirety. 
um, you know, after the snap. Uh, then there's also the other part of the game that happens, you know, when um, nothing goes to plan on offense and then you've got an athlete that has to, you know, adapt and, and kind of make something happen to extend the play. And I think that's almost a, uh, another part of quarterback that that's, I don't want to say it's secondary to the, you know, the, the very structured side of the game. It's something that's equally as valuable. And you'll see guys that make a living more of that. Um, I guess unstructured, you know, uh, off-platform type play. Like, um, you know, I guess we're about to see Kyler Murray. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, guys that can manipulate defenders much greater than others. And then you've got guys like Brady who are the, you know, that guy doesn't move barely at all. Um, and he's going to make you pay within the structure of the play. Um, I hope that kind of no, no, no. It's beautiful. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play, I'm going to play not devil's advocate. I'm going to play more or less like, like something that we would have a conversation about. Mm-hmm. So like a, a convert and you could correct me. Every time we talk, I'm, I'm always asking you correct yeah. me. I mean, these are my theories, my understandings, my own ability or my own thoughts of how to apply this to understanding the problems the players are facing. And I'm wondering if Brady himself even though there is a very uh, minimal amount of actual noticeable movement mm-hmm. laterally or vertically, there is movement within that pocket to a significant degree. I mean, do his feet ever really stop? Because I do feel that that he ends up becoming the consummate. Well, you talk about Kyler Murray. We talk about Patrick Mahomes. We talk about maybe what Doug, Doug Flutie could have been. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and we talk about these guys and we're saying, well, but there's guys like Brady, so those guys play longer. Those guys like RG3 and maybe Kyler Murray and maybe mm-hmm. those guys are going to be more mobile. Well, they don't. So so what are you trying to say? You're trying to say that we need to have guys more like that, but yet Brady's the one who's winning. So why are we not still looking for players like him? And 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 I subscribe, or at least I believe that it's a misunderstanding of exactly the amount of movement doesn't mean that there's no movement. Sure. Yeah, he's, that, he, tell me what that means. Like, yeah, no, yeah, take that. Run with it. Yeah, uh, Jeremy Bates, who was uh, the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets um, last season, really well-respected offensive coordinator, jokingly says um, that that. Well, I think he's kind of serious, actually. That Tom Brady's the most athletic quarterback in the NFL, and and he says that because the the efficiency of his movement um, in the pocket is. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of at, at a different level. I, and I think, you know, when, when you watch players develop over time, you know, there's certain things that I think that you have to embrace as a coach. You know, I think that's the most important thing, understanding like what what's their capabilities as a quarterback and let's embrace those. So let's look at Tom Brady, for example. You know, he did hold the record for the slowest NFL uh, 40 time as a quarterback at the Combine. And then I think Ryan Mallett broke, broke that record. Interestingly enough, the Patriots also drafted Ryan Mallett. Um, so there's there's a key for you guys who want to be drafted by the Patriots on slow forties. Um, but and so we've got this uh, other end of the spectrum where you've got these explosive um, quarterbacks that can extend the play. Um, you know, let's look at I think Daniel Jones ran like a four six forty. You've got you know Kyle Amari. You know these guys that are going to do stuff outside the pocket. Then you've got maybe like kind of like a hybrid brand, the Patrick Mahomes, your Aaron Rodgers, that are going to necessarily push the ball downfield with their legs, but they're going to keep the, the clock. You know, the play is just as dangerous outside the pocket as it is in. But but I think what happens, you know, if you're blind, you get very good at hearing and smelling. You know, if you don't have a rocket arm, you get great at at, at uh, anticipation, and if you don't, you know, you don't you don't you don't move on. Um, and so you kind of double down on your strengths. And I think, you know, Brady's ability to anticipate, um, you know, see what's happening before it's happening. And he's got such a massive library. It's not even fair because he just keeps adding to the library of, of, of fronts and formations. He understands the limitations of defenders probably better than the defenders do themselves. And so that kind of builds and it makes it almost easier for him. You know, I always thought it was interesting um, that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were the two least blitz quarterbacks in the NFL. When you think you'd blitz the most unathletic guys, if you blitz them, you pay. And, and so I, I think that if, if you're Kyle Murray and you're his coach, 
are you really going to lock him down in the pocket like you would Brady? No, you're not. You're going to move him around. Uh, Russell Wilson's a fantastic example. Uh, I remember one statistic from one year, 34% of his, his passing plays were off of play action. And so they're going to manipulate the game in a, in a fashion to really, again, build on his strengths to get him outside of the pocket um, or to give him opportunities where defenders are in, in positions where they have to make a decision. Do I go after the quarterback or do I stay on my man? And, and so I think the, you know, it's not let's go after more Tom Brady's. It's understanding, hey, you know, here's what our players' strengths are. Here's where his weaknesses are. And let's double down on those and, and build around him in and, and, and that fashion. Well, no, I think what's so interesting about that is, uh, you know, I, I keep you might notice me writing as we're talking yeah. often because there's a lot of things that you're you're alluding to in so many different directions to go, and one of the directions actually comes from an, and forgive me for if they're listening to this, I don't know exactly who tweeted it out. Um, it might actually have been one of the presenters. It might have been Jay Moore. Um, actually tweeted out a synopsis or a couple of highlight statements from Andy Reid. Um, talking about Patrick Mahomes from last year in terms of his, you know, um, preseason type of observations, what he was doing in OTAs and whatnot. And the synopsis of it was essentially he had thrown several interceptions, but he was still making good decisions and he was moving around a lot. And people were commenting, do you want to change that? And mm-hmm. Andy Reid commented something along the lines of, why would I want to change that? I want him to be who he is. Yeah. And, I think that's very poignant, and I want to know where you feel the coach sits within that system that is really that coach-player relationship. Because yeah. I wonder to what degree, um, you know, are we? I'm not saying we're forcing players to be somebody that they're not, where we're allowing them the opportunity to be who they yeah. are. What, what is that? What is that? When you hear that, because you you circled around that topic, it seems yeah. a lot in that previous discussion. As a, as a coach yourself, what, what do you think about that when you hear things like that? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really important conversation to have um, for, for coaches. And, you know, I try to be careful with, with um, how I think about it. And I always think it's interesting. I, I've heard some good Mahomes stories. And you see him, you know, the good old throwback across the field, across his body. And that's something we preach as coaches. Don't ever do that. Um, you know, what, what I think is interesting is, is that, you know, there's two levels. I think as a coordinator, one of the things that we need your quarterback to do is to understand, you know, the purpose behind the offense and, and to really see what the coach is trying to accomplish with the offense. Um, once, once they get that, that they understand at the core of it, I think you got to kind of let them go. Um, and I think this is where, I hear coaches struggle and I've heard stories about coaches struggling with, with quarterbacks. Either they're so limited by either the progression or the way that the play develops that, you know, I remember one player I had was with the dolphins uh, a couple years back. And he said that honestly it didn't really matter how he went through the progression. He'd always end up back at a check down. And it, so it was almost like he was so frustrated because if he did exactly what the coach said, it would always come back to a check down. And you kind of think maybe that's almost how Alex Smith played, right? Like he was the, the epitome of I'm going to do it exactly how it's supposed to be. If I'm not sure, I'm bringing it back down. And the guy made a career out of doing that. He's, a, he's an awesome quarterback. But then you, you got to wonder, like, hey, what if we let guys go a little bit? You know, we see if they can test their, um, you know, test their abilities. And I, I always felt like as a quarterback, as a player, you were scolded in competition if you made a bad decision. Um, but how do you learn what your limitations are as a quarterback if you can't make bad decisions? I always struggle with that. You know, um, I have a, a young man this year, had a really great year in college football last year, and, and the offensive coordinator, you know, I kind of gave him permission this year. We want you to test your limits in practice. You know, take throws that you didn't think you could make last year. Just, just try it with no repercussions. And I'm thinking, well, why don't we do that all the time? <laughs> so, and, and maybe the problem there is that it's it's tough for these guys um, to get any kind of consistency and movement. And I think as a coach, you want, you need, you know, to know what you're getting snap to snap. But the guys that you know consistently stand out in this in this industry as players are the ones that you know 
within the play, um, outside the pocket, inside the pocket, extend it, make something happen. Um, and, and, and it's almost like, you know, the coaches on the sideline, you know, the quarterback breaks out the pocket. He's going, no, 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 no. Yes. Great play. Right. It's that feeling of like, don't do that. Oh, well do that. Uh, I, I think Brett, pa- Brett Farr played his entire career that way. Like, you know, I don't want you to scramble on this play no matter what. And then he wins the game. You know, there's still those kinds of stories. So as a balancing act, I think certainly we have to play. And then the argument I think I always get is like, well, I don't have Patrick Mahomes. I don't have Brett Favre. I get it. I get it. But but you have Michael Smith or Peter Malloy or whoever they are. How do you know what you have? Exactly. If you're, if you're always stuck and like uh, you got to follow the rules, you know, it, you then – I think you put yourselves in a position where you'll get, you might get good quarterback play, but you should never get exceptional quarterback play. Well, now I'm going to ask you to kind of maybe change or transition gears, because I think there were a lot of things to take out of that from, from things that we've talked about uh, from, you know, allowing people to kind of scale their own abilities, that idea of, you know, calibration and allowing them to learn to attune or be sensitive to new information by allowing them to explore. A lot of those ideas are inherent in many of the things that you just said. And that coach player relationship is something that I know a lot of researchers are starting to look at more intimately as being something that we have to be careful of and take great care. And maybe the words that we use and, and maybe, you know, it's not, um, you know, maybe it's not. And again, this is not a critique. It's just reflecting on what we said earlier. It's more like maybe not saying like, you know, Hey, you know, like you say this all the time, you know, Hey, consider your ball flight right now. You know, when that ball left your hand, you know, attention to your ball flight and then maybe using that as a way of resonating with what you're doing mechanically. I mean, have you, I know you experiment with that stuff all the time. All the time. Yeah, and, and and I'm just curious as we transition to another piece in a moment, what what in the recent past year have been things that you find are working for you that you might share with a coach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I've arrived at a – my sessions, I feel like that when I train quarterbacks, I, I am, I'm essentially in any time for, you know, 60, 90 minutes, right? And so – your average team, you're going to have, what, 10 minutes of any time of practice if that, you know, and that's, what, 12, 15 weeks of a year. So there's not a whole lot of any time. I've been doing any time. I've, some years I've, I've hit a 1,000 hours of, of any time, right? So I've done a lot of it. And, and you, so you find yourself digging into this position very, very deeply. Um, and it's helped me arrive at, at some, I think, pretty core philosophies on, on how to help athletes achieve a higher level. And one of the things I talk about whenever I work in your athlete, it's like, I'm, I just want you to play at a hundred percent of your capability. Um, and, and I ask that question, what do you think you're operating on right now? Um, and it's always a setup because, you know, whatever answer they're going to say is going to be wrong. Hopefully by the end of the session, we're going to be operating on a lot more, but you know, some of the things that have, that have been, especially in the last 12 months, um, you know, I think I, I naturally arrived at, the constraint-based uh, learning style of teaching um, where all I'm trying to do is manipulate the environment to help the athlete um, discover the solution. Um, and, and I guess that I'm nudging them towards self-discovery uh, because, it, it, you know, again, this is concept of self-organization, right, that we will kind of figure out how to do it if we just leave it alone and I, and I believe that, but I, but I feel as a coach, you can accelerate that process if you ask the right questions um, and use the right terminology. And I think, you know, just simply asking, uh, releasing a player, telling you that, you know, I always start by saying, like, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Like, I don't want you to make me feel good about myself. I don't care how it feels. I want you to describe it. And you let them speak whatever language, you know, like I speak all quarterback languages, whatever the feeling is, just describe it. And, and sometimes I'll, I try not to put the answer in their mouth, but sometimes like, hey, maybe it feels awkward. But did it feel awkward and smooth? And, and, and help them kind of craft like, okay, you know, that didn't feel the same as it did before, um, but it felt better. And I'm like, okay, we can dig into that, right? And, and this is typically speaking is when we're trying to, you know, I see a lot of players, I work with a lot of players that have some 
underlying, you know, uh, I guess I don't want to use the word problem, but there's something that's either been taught in or, you know, um, uh, developed over the years that just doesn't doesn't flow doesn't work it gets them out of sequence it, it puts them in a position where they're not consistent you can tell they just don't feel good about how they're doing it and they've done it thousands of times it doesn't feel good um so you got to you know create an environment where they feel okay it's not a competition it, it's it's i want you to have permission to make bad throws um but but let's let's work on changing this 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 skill pattern this this movement pattern and, um, you know, you've got to, you, you bounce back between kind of the block and random style of coaching. Um, there's some things that I'm, I'm going to let them, you know, the interesting thing about block practice is that if you put an athlete through a very repetitive drill, um, understanding that there is, you know, two, no two repetitions that are the same. Um, but if you constrain them to a very, you know, uh, you know, maybe it's just, step and throw, right? And just playing catch 10 yards apart. If you give them enough repetitions in there, they can start to dial in and really get a great feel for everything that's going in on their body. And so they have this own discovery um, within this very isolated, you know, small part of playing football. And I think that's important to let athletes uh, explore because once an athlete knows, you know, what, feels wrong or what didn't feel right on that throw, they do a very good job of, of reorganizing again and correcting it. And we say like, great, Hey, great one throw correction. Um, and you see that it takes one throw. Like I got it. I know what I did wrong, you know? Um, so nudging yourself, discovery, man, just got kind of propping them along with, with little, little, you know, questions, thought provoking, um, you know, scenarios that helps them feel it out. No. And I think that, there's a lot, again, there's a lot there we can go into. And I would ask yeah. that, you know, as people listen to this, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly let them know where they can follow you towards the end. But I think this is why I think you hear in, in, in coach Hewlett's mind, just this idea of constantly challenging himself. And that's something that I, you know, I really appreciate about you as a coach and something I always try to do in my own craft, like asking myself those questions. Yeah. And so now I, I would wondering if you can kind of Take us into that room of being the the above average educated fan in the position, and take us maybe into that 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 mind of yours in terms of the popular vernacular that's used to kind of talk about the position. Yeah. Where we as evaluators or people that are interested in evaluation or analysts of the position, not where we get it wrong, but maybe where we paint with too broad of a stroke. You know what? Do you, what kind of comes to mind as you as you watch players and you coach players at the position? You know, often you'll hear a, a myriad of things arise in terms of, well, it was a meant it was a processing error. Well, it was a physical error. Well, it was, uh, you know, an, an error. It wasn't really his fault. It was a lineman's fault. Like where? I mean, I'm just curious. Like if you, as you watch the players playing on Saturday and Sunday and Friday night, um. What are some of the things that you kind of think you're not your pet peeves, but the biggest sure. misnomers that might be sitting out there in the evaluative spectrum around the quarterback position? Are yeah. there things that resonate with you as being like, I Absolutely. just wish I could tell people this. Yeah. But, <laughs> there's tons of those. Uh, one of my favorite, <laughs> we're, we're laying up. I'm, yeah. I'm ready. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, my favorite one is like, Oh, he threw it off his back foot. Um, and that's, that's the one that's got to go. Um, you know, Wow, he threw that off his back foot. What an amazing throw. Wow, he threw that off his back foot. It was an interception. Okay, let, let's the, – the game is played off your back foot. So it, it's how the game is played. It's constantly under pressure. A lot of the times we're regressing. Um, you know, you can't always get your weight, um, you know, moving at the target. And, and so I think people need to understand – I see it in coaching a lot when people are breaking down – uh, quarterback workouts they're like you know it's a throw on the run and it's like well he didn't get his weight at the target I'm like okay, okay but that's not how the game's played um, sometimes it is uh, but sometimes it's not um, so you know I, I I think the tendency you know when we're evaluating quarterbacks there's there's a lot that goes into it and I think at the NFL level um, one thing that's I don't think people realize how much matters is actually coaching um, 
uh, or or the, within the system what the the player is allowed to do. Um, and, I, and I think some of the best examples would be you know Jared Goff. I think is a fantastic example for us because of um, you know his rookie year. He's a bust. He's not going to be a guy, and then he's a pro bowler. You know, and yeah, that comes with maturity and, and so on. But you know, within a system, I think that coach-player relationship really, really matters. So being partnered with a great staff, great coach, I think goes a long way uh, at, at the NFL level. College and, and, and high school, you know, talent can generally overcome a lot of issues, whether it's it's poor personnel, poor coaching. They're just going to get it done. Um, so, you know, it, one of the other things I think we, you know, you hear coaches, I'm sorry, evaluators talk about is, is maybe quickness of release. And I think people mistake a, an elongated movement as something that's slow um, or that, you know, you could say that Sam Darnold winds up, that, that guy gets the ball out faster than just about anyone when he has to. Uh, Carson Wentz, another guy with somewhat of a wind up. Um, he, his throw adapts. If he's throwing a now screen, he shrinks it to fit the now screen. If it's a longer throw, it goes a little bit longer. So, it, it, you know, and Hey, listen, maybe he get works on getting it a little bit faster and tighter every single year, but there's a point where, you know, you don't want to get it too tight. Um, so I, I think there's that, that flexibility and individual movement. Where we're trying to put everyone in that, that, you know, um, box, um, you could you could say that Patrick Mahomes has a wind up. Would you think anyone would change that guy's release? You're out of your mind. That guy's got you know one of the best arms we've ever seen. And, and so I think understanding you know allowing individual movements uh, differences between athletes. I think that's something that's that's um, you know, needs to be important. And then um, you know I, I deal with it in the college world, and it's changing. But the the good old height thing, right? Like we're addicted to six five um, and it's, I think the position, you know, it gets this plenty of six foot five quarterbacks, myself included, that couldn't see the field. Well, um, being tall, uh, you know, shorter guys can certainly make plays, um, if they're just given the opportunity. So I think we naturally gravitate to the shorter, the taller quarterbacks. Um, and that's changed. You know, look at Kyler Murray, he gets drafted first overall and he's, you know, five, nine, five, 10, whatever he is. So those are, those are probably the three main things that kind of stand out to me as things that have been poorly evaluated. Um, maybe one other thing is that, you know, playing at, uh, I think there's something to be said about your production, regardless of the system that you're in. I think, you know, great quarterbacks tend to, uh, whether they're running the air raid or they're running, uh, you know, some spread or pro style, whatever the case is, is, you know, generally speaking, these guys are going to be, um, if they're accurate within that system, that that should translate to, to other systems as well. Um, so kind of systemizing guys, I think, is a mistake that's sometimes made as, as evaluators. Well, no, and I would, I would definitely want to echo a point that really has evolved for me more is when I'm watching a player within a particular system, I have to be cognizant of the types of throws or the types of situations that the players that they're playing in or playing with are going to be in, so to speak, at the next level. In other words, you know, not, you know, not every pass is necessarily in quote unquote NFL pass. If any of these are really NFL passes at all, but the idea of of really asking myself, you know, what is the problems they're going to face at the NFL level and what, to what degree does this myriad of snaps that I'm watching transfer to that to those situations to the best of my ability or the capability of that game so to speak or that exposure is you know as we move forward i i think broad strokes are bad i think within every particular system there are nfl throws it's not the system right it's not it's not like you know he's just a system guy i i think that's too broad of a stroke i think i think we sell ourselves short of common sense to be honest with you well, you know, I mean, what do you think about, I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I always, I, for actually some time now, I've wondered if quarterbacks that play in a, in a, um, an air raid system. And I, I know I'll get a lot of grief from, from the NFL world for this, but I think there's something to be said for attempting 500 passes in one season. Um, 
And, and so maybe you play in a pro-style offense, you attempt 170 or 220 or 300. But if you start for three years, you attempt 500 passes a year, that's 1,500 passes. That That's, you know, I, I don't know what else replaces that. Sometimes you're playing two football seasons in one football season, you know. So I think we've got to look at it like, you know, hey, if a guy can throw, he can throw. Um, if a guy can process, he can process. He, he didn't make up the offense, right? It's not his choice. So uh, I think that's one of the things that we've got to, you know, consider there is that how do they how do they produce within within the system? But the system doesn't really matter in college when we're going to the NFL. Yeah, no, and and, and I think that you know one of those things I'd, I'd love to to kind of begin as we kind of begin to take this show maybe down to its kind of final leg because I mean it really has offered a lot in terms of looking at these different areas. Well, if somebody's listening to the show and they're saying, what what are the the concrete most salient points you would want to leave them? Coach, evaluator, fan, anything about that quarterback position that you really would want to leave as a take home? What would that sound like? What would you try to leave our listenership or or anybody listening to this? What would you leave them with in terms of the position itself and maybe what we need to understand as we move forward in understanding this position within this game. I I think um, that it's really, really hard to play. (laughs) Give, give the guys on Sunday some slack and and Saturday some slack. Uh, It's, it's hard. Um, It's a really hard position to, to, to coach and and to play. Um, You know, I I think, um, you know, you got to really appreciate some of the greats out there and, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's such a, uh, you know, I'm so enamored by the position still where, I mean, I've been assessed since I'm 13, I'm almost 40 years old. Uh, I'm still learning every single day about the position. I'm obsessed with it. And I think people get bitten by the QB bug. Um, and, uh, it, it's just, it's just great. I think if we continue to share, you know, ideas and thoughts and, and knowledge on the position, um, it's really, it's gotten a lot better in the coaching world on the technical side of things. I think coaches have, have moved the needle, um, for the most part, there's still some, you know, questionable things that are done out there. I think, uh, you know, teams are evolving on how they treat quarterbacks and look quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a blessing to be in, in this world. And I think, um, you know, I just want to, uh, help other guys appreciate it and learn more about it as much as possible. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one final question, which unfortunately comes towards the end of that amazing kind of ending, but I got to ask it anyway. Um, It's just something that is always kind of beginning to kind of weigh on me in terms of this idea of understanding the position in terms of everything that is information around you. When you were playing the position, when you speak to your athletes and they're talking about playing the, the, the position, to what degree are they aware of the capabilities of the players around them? Does that shape their behavior in any way? Yes, I, I absolutely do think it, it shapes their behavior. I mean, I, you know, you can just talk to any quarterback. It's um, it, There's a, again, it ties back to that confidence, the level of confidence that you have that you can put that ball in that direction and that guy's going to take care of it for you. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers has a very specific offseason um, camp process where he's going to throw those 50-50 balls. He's really just trying to see what that guy can do. Um, and so that certainly changes, I think, how you approach the position um, as a player if you understand what the surrounding athletes uh, are capable of or not capable of. And I think that's also what makes a great quarterback is, is truly understanding that and, and putting your, your buddies and teammates in the best positions to succeed as well. He is Will Hewlett of the QB Collective. I don't think you could have asked for anything more from this discussion. And I think it opens up such a, a myriad of places for you to go, not only as an evaluator, but as a coach to kind of begin to investigate your own understanding of this position. Will, thank you so much for being a guest on the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Matt, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate you having me on. And uh, I look forward to uh, catching up again soon. 
So, Will, if, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you, if they just want more of what you have to say, how can they get in contact with you? How can they kind of subscribe to your ideas? Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, check out, uh, I believe it's qbcollective.com is the main website. Uh, personal Twitter is uh, at Will Hewlett. And then I believe my Instagram, at Will Hewlett, same thing. Um, I, I post probably more quarterback stuff on, on Twitter. Uh yeah, my Instagram's a mess of personal stuff and my farm and chickens and sometimes some quarterback stuff. So that's where you can find me. I got to tell you, on behalf of myself and the entire listening base, thank you so much for being a guest. And, and to all of you out there that listen, thank you so much for giving us, obviously, that most precious thing that you have, which is your time and listening to us and listening to this discussion. I hope you stay subscribed and I hope that you continue to follow this really incredible series with these amazing presenters like Coach Hewlett about really the nature of the problems that these players are facing on the field. On behalf of myself, Will, and the rest of the uh, Saturday to Sunday football podcast, thank you so much for joining us. And please join us next time as the summer seminar series rolls along as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.